Elginor Daly is a perfect combination of her Grenadian father and Italian mother. According to her, her curry chicken is as tasty as her eggplant parmesan. She grew up in New York City, surrounded by an abundance of sights, sounds, and scents, but most importantly, the arts. Elgin therefore set her sights on becoming an actor. She would later realize that her passion lived behind the camera. After stints behind the scenes at a major news channel and MTV, Elgin decided to try writing, a decision that allowed her to express her creativity like never before. She had finally landed where she needed to be. Now standing on a stack of well-received plays and an award-winning web series, Elgin is now one of the city's rising stars in the world of writing. Playwrights and screenwriters have the power to mold and shape our minds and open chambers of our imaginations that we didn't even know existed. Elgin is one such writer, and her work is certainly designed to make audiences think. Her work is well thought out. It pulls emotions and creates moods and demands us to pay attention to both her subtle and intentionally displayed messages. Though she continues to bask in the rays of success, she is immensely grateful. Her ability to create was almost taken from her because of an unforeseen incident. In this interview, Elgin discusses this incident, her love of the arts, and opens up many other doors to her world. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Elgin Wardelli. Your name alone sounds like a like a like a star. Like you were born to be a star, huh? <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, having a complicated name does uh, does wonders. <laughs> <laughs> so, t- tell us about your journey in, uh, with writing. Uh, how and when did it start? Um. So I've always been excited about storytelling. And it's always been in the back of my mind um, growing up, like, oh, I should be, I want to be a writer, I want to be a playwright or a screenwriter, but I never thought that I could make a career out of it. And um, you know how they say, find your, if you don't follow your passion, your passion will find you and kill you. <laughs> so it almost, it almost did that for me. When I was 29, I had a stroke and that almost took away my ability to write. So I decided if I could still write, after I was, when I was recovering, that I would pursue my passion full speed and not take writing for granted ever again. So that's what I did, and I haven't looked back since. How did you sort of deal with the threat of not being able to, or the possibility that you weren't going to write again? How, how did you process that mentally? I thought about the possibility that I wouldn't be able to write for the first couple of months after the stroke, and I wasn't ready to try and write because I wasn't ready to honestly deal with the devastation if I couldn't. So it was a lot of basically thinking about what was important in my life, what I wanted to change because I was given kind of this second chance and how I was going to live my life moving forward after I recovered because I was a completely different person. Um, I always say that the stroke is 
the best thing and the worst thing that ever happened in my life uh, for that very reason. So once I was able to write something and figured, oh, okay, well, I still have this talent. I am still able to pursue this. I just decided, okay, I'm going to really nurture that and turn this into more than a passion, more than a hobby and make it my career. So did you did you ever attempt any I know writing is your passion but did you ever attempt any other job or uh within the film and television world like acting or producing So when I was younger I definitely wanted to be an actress growing up in New York I think that everybody at a certain point in their life uh in their lives want to do something in the arts so for me I said okay well I'm going to try out this acting thing and um I actually was part of a small theater when I was in high school and I really enjoyed acting and I thought oh this is great uh but again in the back of my mind I still wanted to create stories and after college I said well you know what since I want to work behind the camera or not on stage or in film maybe I'll start working in TV so I started my career um working at in the news industry and then from there I ended up working at MTV and just decided okay well I have all this good background let me see how else I can use it to my advantage in pursuing a career in the arts so everything just kind of meshed together and came together in a really wonderful way because I'm so thankful to have all these different skills because it allows me to view um creative projects under a bigger scope now interestingly enough you you're a uh parents come from two different cultures um west indian so you're grenadian spice island and um italian uh how is being raised between the two worlds and uh, how's that informed your work the two cultures i should say being, not islands <laughs> uh, being biracial has definitely played a really important part in my life especially creatively because when you look at stories on TV often you'll see you know black stories you'll, you'll see white stories latino stories but you don't really get to see a lot of stories about um biracial people i mean of course there's uh what's that show called there's blackish and then there's um mixedish so that's something new and look how long it took for something like that to come out i never got to see myself represented when i was growing up and i think that even now so it's still hard to see people like me represented in stories so i decided that i wanted to no matter what story i was telling every story was going to when when i could it was going to be um with different cultures with different people it would never be uh just highlighting one thing because representation is important and um that is my goal in most of the things that i write if it's not historical or anything like that where you require that a certain culture be highlighted on its own um yeah because the goal should be for everyone to be able to see themselves represented on screen on stage in all stories because i think that an important part of entertainment is just be able to inspire somebody. Entertaining somebody with whatever it is you're writing is great. But if you can inspire someone and cause that person to question something at the end of whatever they're watching, that's even a bigger joy. Awesome. Now, have you done any uh stories about Italian culture at all? I mean, or New York Italian culture? 
Because I know you you dabbled um on the on the Caribbean or West Indian side. I have not yet, but I'm actually working on something now. Because uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in, where my mom still is, is very very Italian. So I've always wanted to tap into that. I've just been trying to figure out what the story would be. And I think I have a handle on <laughs> what that is going to be right now. I'm actually just actually just started working on it, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Um, I know that a lot of people are really surprised whenever, especially with cooking, because again, let's let's be honest. With cultures, obviously, food. no matter where you're from, food food is a very big part of your culture. Huge. So. Yeah, so I can throw down making roti and curry chicken and everything just as well as I can throw down making gravy, making eggplant parmesan, anything that you could think of. So Elgin, which do you prefer? Uh, scripts for stage or scripts for screen? Ooh, that, that's hard. Um, my first love is playwriting. My That is definitely my first love. That's where... I started acting. That is where I feel as though the emo- the the imagination can just take over, and anything is possible. With screenwriting, you kind of constantly have to think, "Oh my God, well, can I do this with the budget, or what is that going to take?" I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. But if you're writing a play, you can literally say anything, and that can come to life either in a in a really grand way, or with just you know lights and props and just. <laughs> It's more imaginative to, to me, I think. Also, it's a lot easier to make happen um, when you don't have to think of huge blockbuster budgets. That's very interesting. I There's something to think about. I, I kind of... Wow. Yeah. Now, is, is, is your process different um, when you approach a, a writing a play versus writing you know, a web series? Is your thought process different other than other than budget? I'm speaking creatively. Um, mm, mm-hmm. Is that process any different? Yes, it is because you know with with a film, you should be able you should be able to turn the sound off and know exactly what's happening because a film is just basically a story in pictures. With a play, it's more language driven. So if I I'm feeling in a very poetic move, mood, then I know I'm going to write a play. But if I'm going to adapt that, say, for the screen, I know that I can't really do that because, again, it's more about pictures. It's more about um, cinematography, things like that. So if it's too wordy, it kind of, um, there's more of a chance of that being cut. I mean, with uh, my web series, because my web series, Docket 32357, was originally a play. So when I adapted that into a screenplay, I had to lose a lot of the um, poetic language that I had originally had in there because I knew that it wouldn't be suitable for screen. Hmm. Now your series Docket, I mean, wonderful series, by the way, and enjoyed it. Um, what was the inspiration behind it? I love Law and Order. <laughs> I love, 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 love Law and Order SVU, and. Um, when I was recovering from my stroke, I was obviously just watching TV and doing a lot of things that were just kind of stationary because I couldn't really move around too much. So when I was watching SVU one day, um, the, you know, everybody always, the, the episodes a lot of times will end with the verdict and then it just kind of fades to black with and the credits roll. 
And one day I was just thinking, man, I wonder what happens to those families once the verdict is read. I want to know what happens when they go home at night. Like, Mm. what's the conversation? Because I know that they just don't sweep that under the rug. I'm interested in their stories. So that was the inspiration for for Docket. And that was actually the first thing that I wrote after the stroke. So I wrote one scene, which ended up being the first episode of the series. And it was just a short film, and it made its way through the festival just based off that one short film. And when people started asking, well, what happens to these women... I, my first instinct was, well, it's a play, maybe it'll get produced and you'll find out that way. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, no, I already know what happens. Maybe I can turn this into something bigger that can reach uh, more people. So that's what I did. So now, fascinating. So Elgin, Docket uh, 32357 has won a ton of awards. I know you guys showed at several festivals. What are some of the awards and um, some of the festivals that you showed at? Well, um, we've screened at over 45 festivals worldwide. Um, we're the winner of the inaugural Huffington Post Black Voices Breakthrough Theater Grand Jury Prize. Um, we are also uh, the audience winner of the International Black Film Festival of Nashville. And we were nominated for the Birmingham Black Film Festival Best Short. So um, there are a lot of festivals and awards that this little short that could turn into um and we even filmed we even showed uh docket in the bahamas which we're really proud proud of and in grenada so it's just nice to be able to share the work with so many different people and i guess that is a way that plays um can't reach people because you know if, if something goes up in one place you can only reach an audience that way but if you have a film and you can see it online, or you can see it on TV. It reaches a much broader audience. Yeah, sort of a budget either way. Either you're going to have to take everybody in the play to these different locations, or you're going to spend the money up front and then send the film. So it's kind of interesting. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you you did two seasons of Docket, yeah? So it was so well received that, that you had to go and do the second season. How did, um, how did you develop the second season? Because it, it all started as one little piece of script and uh, turned into a web series. Um, how did you build upon the first season? Like, did you continue the stories or did you bring in new characters? So the end of the first season ends with a very specific new incident happening. happening. And that wasn't my idea. That was actually the director, Randy Wilkins' idea to have this specific event happen. I don't want to say what it is because I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't watched it but when he told me about this idea I said well what's the why do you want to have this event happen because it's not tied into seemingly the rest of the story and all he told me he was like you'll figure it out I'm like what is that supposed to mean (laughs) he said that means season two and I said oh okay but even so you've kind of left me on a very specific (laughs) kind of prompt that I have to go off of based on what you <laughs> what you uh, just decided was going to happen. I know I'm being very vague right now. Hopefully that will encourage people to go and watch and see what I'm talking about. But <laughs> So after uh, this event happened, I mean, it's, it's like with any kind of creative prompt. If someone says, okay, well, um, there's a car accident on the street. What happens next? And you kind of got to dig deep and figure out, okay, well, there are a number of things that can happen. Well, why does this happen? And why does, what, what else can, you know, can, can grow out of this? 
So I think that it's kind of brilliant for the the ending the way that it was, because to me, it means that when one story ends, another begins, and somehow we're all connected. So I kind of just use that as a jumping off point to, to connect a new story to an old story. And the way that the second season ends is pretty much the same way. Um, one event ends as another one begins, and how are we all connected? Doing a, a, any sort of production, whether it be a music video or web series, it takes a lot of time and money. Can you, uh, for those that are interested in doing production on any level, um, you know, young directors, young writers, young producers, can you sort of walk us through what it, you know, just the main points of what it takes to really bring something from the idea to the paper to the screen? Sure. Um, the wonderful thing about creating stories no matter what platform you're using, is that you can do it no matter what. If I have an idea and I want to bring it to life, but I don't have any money, I look around and see what I do have around me. Okay, well, I have a phone. My phone has a video a video camera on it. Mm-hmm. So I can even make these short little tiny things, put them on Instagram, make my own series. That's free. That doesn't cost anything. Um, with the, the short, the short was done in, it, in one day with a skeleton crew, with people who, who were also creatives and didn't really have um, anything going on at the moment and wanted to flex their creative muscles. So we all just kind of banded together and made this thing with practically no money. And when we realized, okay, well, we want to turn this into something different, we decided to turn to crowdfunding. And crowdfunding is just so great because it allows you to feel as, uh, to, to find your community. Because this project that you're doing is not only now connected to you, but it's connected to an audience who's funding your passion. So everybody's in it together. And I think that is so important and wonderful to be able to have uh, access to being being able to do that. Um, also to finding partners who are also willing to help out. Like we were very lucky um, in the fact that we use Seed and Spark, which is a wonderful crowdfunding platform to crowdfund both seasons. So they are different from uh, other crowdfunding platforms in the sense that they help push your project forward. They help with uh, tweeting your uh, video and your idea out to their community so that everything can grow and your community can grow. So it doesn't feel as though you're on a small little island by yourself. Mm, Awesome. Now, um... You have a new project that you've written, and um, I was privileged enough to view some of it over Zoom because this is a new world. This is the new reality. Um, your play, <laughs> "Blooming in Dry Season." Tell us a bit about that. So, "Blooming in Dry Season" is a play that I actually wrote in 2016, and is basically. Um, an homage to August Wilson's Fences. It's set in a rum shop in Grenada and is about um, an oppressed housewife who's basically lived her life for her husband, who's a failed Calypsonian. And um, her daughter is a, gift, a gifted steel pen player. And when a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for her daughter presents itself, Rose, who's the wife, realizes she puts her own dreams on hold long enough and she's forced to make a decision. Should she stay or should she go? Now, even though this is set in Grenada... I feel as though the story is universal because we all know this 
father um, figure. We all know this mother figure. We, we've all been that child. So it's um, really important to me that people see that we all have the same stories. It's just our stories take place in different settings most of the time. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if you'd ever find a more colorful setting than a Caribbean rum shop. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So no. So in, in in the play, you sort of explored um, many themes. Um, fascinating because you know some of the themes you explored were the West Indian or Caribbean relationships. You know between well, I shouldn't g- generalize. I, I should say um, some of the stereotypical, I guess you could say, or mm-hmm. or relationships that occur more often than not sometimes in the Caribbean between men and women and, and the attitudes of men toward women and women toward men, et cetera, and, and how kids fall into there. Now, that must have been interesting to, for you to research in terms of the attitudes toward patriarchy, et cetera. Yeah, because, I mean, even today, whenever I go to Grenada, you're always, like I've always run into that one old guy or unfortunately one young guy or who constantly thinks that women (laughs) for some reason are not equal to men and it's crazy that in this day and age again across the world it's it's not equal rights for men and women clearly so that is something like I said can be explored between a, a family dynamic and workplace basically anywhere and a lot of things that I hear from people who have seen the reading or this reading or another reading is that they all know these people they all have that person in their lives or they've met they've met that uh that husband or that wife or they've been that child or they know that child so I think that really makes such an it makes such an impact when you can hear those things so it's like oh I did a good job because they can see themselves or they know someone who has basically been one of those characters. So in, in blooming in a, in dry season, um, the perspective you give, you give perspective from the perspective of the female child, the, um, the wife. Now, how important is it, um, in particular for West Indian women to become involved in the industry and, and sort of tell their own, their, their own stories? It's so important for West Indian women to be part of the conversation because representation matters, you know? Uh, We don't see a lot of us in the industry who are executives and who are showrunners and, you know, playwrights or screenwriters. We need more of us um, out there. And I'm sure there's, well, no, I know for a fact there are a ton of us out there. It's just trying to break down the door, open, get in through the window, um, things like that. So the exciting thing is that there's a lot of material out there and there are a lot of people in our culture who are doing all of these things. And it's just wonderful to be able to highlight them on their journey because it's just a matter of time before we are also in these rooms and making our way in these doors. So how do you, how do you deal as a writer? How do you deal with, the dreaded writer's block, because I think everybody goes through it at some point in time. What's your uh, process or what's your solution for writer's block? Oh, I bribe myself. I have to bribe myself. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I'll sit down ready to write 
10 pages or however many pages, whatever my goal is for the day. And there are times when nothing comes out and I have to be gentle with myself and say, you know what, that's okay because what good ever comes out of pages that are forced? Nothing. Because you'll be able to tell that your material is not good. So I just always like to look at my process as, okay, well, you sat down, you tried to do this thing, nothing came out, but it's okay because there's always tomorrow. So I try to be gentle with myself in that way. Even if I write one line, if I write one line and it's a good line, then it's a good day. Of course, some days we don't feel like sitting down at the at the desk or wherever to write because we're just not in the mood. So on those days, I bribe myself with, you know, a cookie or I set myself up with a nice cup of tea and I have my whole set up with snacks to try and create as comfortable and as, as an environment as I can to try and get my ideas out. You have to look at it as a job. So mm-hmm. dedicate yourself if you can every day or whatever your schedule is to try and stick to it. Even again, even if nothing comes out, you're sticking to your schedule and you're working on your craft because your nine to five job shouldn't be your only job. I like how you bribe yourself. That's, that's interesting in itself. So let's go back. Let me ask you this question. What would you, what, what advice would you give to your teenage self? What would you tell teenage Elgin? <laughs> a lot of things. Um, <laughs> uh, what would I tell her? I would tell her to keep going. Just, just keep going. Mm. And yeah, I think that a lot of people who say that they want to be in this business, um, a lot of them quit because you know this business is not a an easy one to be in. And a lot of people just decide that they're not going to work at it anymore. And um, just stay in the game. Just keep pushing and keep working on your craft. Because all these years or months that you're spending working on writing or directing or editing, you're constantly getting better. I mean, there is, I forgot who said it, but somebody drew a picture in like under a minute or something. And it was this gorgeous piece of art. Someone said, oh, my God, how did that, how did you learn to do that? Why are you charging so much to do something that took you one minute? And the person said, because it took me 12 years to be able to do that in under a minute. Mm, I like that. I like that. You bribe yourself to beat writer's block. Well, so how do you encourage yourself uh, when when those times, uh, when when things or times get you down? Because I know in this industry, it's it's it's... You know, I know firsthand that we all as creatives get um, discouraged at, at the very least. How do you kind of shake yourself out of those um, moods? There's nothing like that feeling of when you're in a really good stride, when you're writing something and things kind of come together and you feel that coming together. I get really excited by that feeling. And I think all of us writers specifically, specifically, sometimes you're like, oh, well, how am I going to find that next idea? I don't think that I can write something as good as this. How am I going to get over that? Because it is a scary thought. Like, what if nothing comes out? It's not as though it's something mechanical where you can fix something. Oh, I know this make and model of this car. I know how to fix this. When you're literally pulling out new ideas, you you panic sometimes and you say, oh, God, well, I don't have any ideas. What's going to happen? What do I do? So I just kind of try to be gentle with myself and say, you know what, it'll come and it'll be fine. 
Um, there's no time restraint for me with new ideas. Sometimes I used to put a lot of pressure on myself and say, okay, by this month in the year, I should be working on this script because I know it's going to take me X amount of time and then I have to submit to all the festivals. So everything has to be on a schedule. And I kind of threw that away because all that did was just get me down. So it's just uh, trying to find inspiration if nothing hits. You know, um, go to a museum, listen to music, uh, have a Sunday, do something that makes you happy and be gentle with yourself. So that's what I try to do. Be gentle with yourself. Good, good advice. It's really, it's really easy to look at somebody else who's attained a certain level of success and say, well, why isn't that me? But it's also important to remember that their story is not your story. Very important. I like that. I like that. Because a lot of times people, you, you really do try to measure yourself against someone else. And which kind of leads me to my next question, because that person may have had resources and uh, connections that you didn't have. So it's almost like be proud of yourself for what you have done with what you did, with what you were given, you know? So actually, like I said, which leads me to my next question about young people or not necessarily, I say, I say young people as if older people don't want to be in the arts, but anyone who is an aspiring writer, filmmaker, uh, musician, whatever, anything in the, in the creative space, what advice would you uh, give them, um, especially people who may come from the Caribbean or a smaller town in the U.S.? or anywhere in the world, really, that that person who doesn't have, who didn't grow up around a, uh, a formal film industry or a theater industry, but they really have that burning passion to do something within the industry, what would you say to them? What would you say to that person who's really trying? I would say, well, my advice for everything is keep going. But if I was, um, I mean, I kind of think about when I was little, because I've been trying to do this since, since I was a little, little girl, and I would always want to write. So I would say, okay, well, I have some paper. Let me write something down. Let me gather some of my friends and ask them if they'll just read something aloud so I can hear it. So it's really, I mean, it's amazing what we think we can't do. Oh, this person's going to say no. This person's not going to want to just do me this favor. You'll never know unless you ask. So for someone um, growing up in, in the Caribbean who may not have as many resources as we do in the States, just get a group of friends together. Say, hey, I have this idea. I want to do this thing. I wrote, I, I wrote this play or I wrote this screenplay. Um, what do you think? Will you guys read it with me? How about we invite people to listen to it and just like gather some people and have them listen to it out loud. And then boom, you have an audience. Okay, well, I want to be a filmmaker. What can I do? I don't have anything. If you have a phone or if you have um, a, a camera, take pictures, put together something just like that. You can make art happen anywhere with whatever you have. Great advice. Reach out to uh, creative art. Yeah, I mean, reach out to people as well. Like I said, you never know who is going to say yes. Advice is free. Advice is definitely free. Definitely yeah. free. Um, so what's, what's I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff. But what, what is next for... For Eljan Wardali, I, you, listen. I like saying a name, you know. I love saying it. It's 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 such a super <laughs> it's such a superstar name. <laughs> What's next for Eljan Wardali? Um. Well, I am trying to get staffed in a writer's room, but again, with the state of everything because of COVID, it's pretty hard to make anything happen since all filming has stopped. 
but also this is a lesson for all of us who um, writers and editors, directors, everybody who can't really work right now because of Corona. It's also a lesson for me to say, okay, well, how can I be creative without having all these resources? So there are things like Zoom meetings. There, you know, just having FaceTime meetings where people can read uh, new material. So that's what I'm working on now. I'm working on uh, a new series that and a treatment that I'm hoping somebody will will pick up. And I can't say too much about it now, but uh, I'm doing that and I'm working on a play. I'm working on a couple of different screenplays and two play ideas that I have right now. So I'm just trying to use this time as well as I can to just write a whole bunch of new wild and crazy stuff and <laughs> hoping that once Corona um, is out of here, that I can hit the ground running with some projects. Again, uh, we all know that it's really hard because there aren't things that are being filmed right now. Everything is kind of shut down. But this is also a, just a wonderful time to, again, use your creative brain, see how you can um, find ways to make art in this time. Because I have a feeling that once this is all over, we're going to see some really exciting things from a lot of different people to come out of this. Now, you mentioned you mentioned a writer's room. Is that sort of your ultimate goal? Or uh, would your goal be to eventually get one of your productions on TV or on screen, I should say? On screen, oh. Um, yeah, I would love to be a showrunner. I have a couple of pilots and that I would love to be, you know, a showrunner for. I would love to make two features. Um, I say two right now because I only have two finished screenplays. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my goal is to just be in a room with other people to see how it's done. I love just being in a room with different writers and picking their brains and kind of seeing what their process is because no matter who you talk to, everybody has a different process, which is just so fascinating to me how we all can create stories, but we all have different ways of getting there. Definitely. As a writer, how do you uh, constantly improve? Um, are you someone that just reads widely or do you take extra classes What's your uh, process in terms of improving? Because I know you mentioned earlier about, you know, constantly upgrading. I read a lot of different plays that I really um, have an affinity for and kind of study them and say, okay, well, I love the art of the surprise or I love the way that this person writes character. How can I study them and what do they do to make that happen? So how can I use that to make myself a better writer? Um, and, and, or even with process like for screenplays, something that a professor told me was, you know, watch a movie while reading a script for that movie and see how they hit certain plot points at different times. So how can, so I've been doing that and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So at this moment I should be able to think that this is going to happen or how do you layer and how do you tie up all these loose ends? So it's constantly watching other work and trying to take notes and um, find tips in the way that all these different authors and um, writers have basically managed to create their own work. Excellent. I also find a, I also find a lot of inspiration from art. You know, it's, you can look at a painting and just create an entire story based off this one painting like okay well wow what's the subject thinking of how can that turn into a story so it's just you can <laughs> you can study anything and apply it to your craft 
So Elgin, how important are relationships in the uh, in the entertainment industry? You know, relationships are really in, important if you're at a film festival or even connecting with an audience member. Anybody who comes up to you and compliments your work or has questions, it's a great idea to keep up that relationship with that person. Um, you never know what might happen down the line. I mean, I have had meetings with uh, executives at different um, networks that I still upkeep to this day, where it's uh, every couple of months check-in, hey, this is what I'm doing, how are you? Is there anything that you're working on that maybe we, I could be a right, uh, fit for? So it's just always important to treat these relationships as you would uh, friendships. You would always check in on your friends every couple of months if you don't hear from them. So treat your professional relationships the same. Always check in with them. See what's going on. You never know what opportunity can arise from that. So, Elgin, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to say to anyone out there? Um, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Keep going. Your story deserves to be told. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not a good writer or you're not a good director or anything. If you want to be good at what you do, you just keep going. Work on your craft. The rest will come. Excellent. Uh, so, tell us, for those um, who are familiar well for those who are unfamiliar and those who would like to get to know you better as an artist where can we find your material and where can people get in contact with you in order to buy those fabulous screenplays <laughs> well um i have a website elginwardally.squarespace.com and you can find a lot about my work there there's also a contact me page so you can always um send me send me an email on there and I'll be happy to answer some questions and you can also see the two seasons of my digital series docket 3237 at docket3237.com excellent 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 Elgin Wardali thank you so much <laughs> thank you <laughs> I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com.